And I thought, wouldn't it be incredible if I can have this amazing little guy help me in my journey to lose weight, um, get out back into the world and, and feel alive again, go exploring and do something really special that would honor my husband, not just for one day, but for many, many days. And we could pay it forward every single day by going out into the community and bringing a smile to people and then visiting people in hospice or in other situations so they could see cats again. Join us as we chat to amazing cat explorers and experts, learn from them, listen to their war stories, celebrate their wins, and laugh at the funny moments that have been a part of their journey. Hi everyone, welcome to the Cat Explorer podcast. I'm Masara. And I'm Daniel. Before we jump into today's exciting chat, we would love it if you could screenshot this podcast Post it in your Instagram stories and tag us at catexplorer.community and our awesome guest at Professor X the Hiking Cat. We'll reshare it in our stories and we can't wait to hear what you think of today's episode. We'd love to thank our amazing sponsors, Superkit. Whenever we go on a holiday with Lumos, he loses a little bit of weight. It's mainly due to the extra exercise that he's doing. This happened during our recent road trip, but then when he came home, he got a little fat chunky. This variance in size can make it a little challenging to find harnesses that always fit him. But what's amazing about the Superkit harness is that they're adjustable. Lumos's medium-sized harness fits him when he's lean and even when he's fat chunky. You can get your own Superkit harness at superkit.co. As a part of Cat Explorer, I have had the opportunity to get to know some incredible people. Today's guest, Clara Lee, is one of those people. Not only does she run the Hopkins Belize Humane Society. She also works with local cat rescues by opening up her home to cats who have a variety of issues that make it difficult to be in a traditional home. As a cat explorer, Clara Lee explores with her adorable kitty, Professor X, a therapy cat in training. And the story and inspiration behind Professor X is incredible. I'm so excited to chat to Clara Lee and hear more of her story. Welcome to the show, Clara Lee. Thank you so much for having me. Wow, where do we start? Um, perhaps we can um, start with how did you get involved with Animal Rescue? Wow, that was a very long time ago. Um, in 1990, probably before most of your listeners were born, I was uh, I graduated from college with a degree in broadcasting and political science, thinking that I would be on the Today Show going into the news. And I got out of college and there weren't too many jobs. So I moved back home like so many people do after college and started um, working at a veterinarian office and knew right away that was for me. And um, I went back to school to try to go to back to, you know, so I could get a veterinary degree for myself. And I realized that I could make a really, really big difference in animal welfare without having necessarily to be a veterinarian. So, uh, of course, uh, being a veterinarian is wonderful. And sure, there are times in my career where I have wished that I was the one with the degree. But, you know, there are a lot of expenses that come along with being a veterinarian. And um, it's, it's, it's a different thing than uh, 
being a veterinary technician and being in animal welfare. So at a very young age, right out of college, I was working for a veterinarian's office, and then I became president of my local humane society, the Oxford Lafayette Humane Society, and was involved with the Oxford Lafayette Humane Society either on the board and or an employee for um, 10 years. And my standard joke there is that 10 years at an animal rescue organization is like 70 years anywhere else because of dog years and the stress that (laughs) it provides. (laughs) So um, I actually retired from that after the 10 years. Um, Classic burnout, as a lot of people in animal welfare do experience. And I I just need I just needed a break. I felt like I had been at work 24 seven for 10 years. And I went on vacation to Belize and saw an incredible need uh, in that very small Caribbean country. And I, I was traveling around, um, uh, seeing animals that were emaciated. Um, most of them had no fur from mange. And uh, as I was leaving the resort, I asked a woman walking across the lobby if there was anyone doing anything about animal welfare. And she said that there was a couple that had just moved to the village and they wanted to get something started, but they didn't know what to do. I gave her my card and that couple, uh, Les and Nancy Collier, had contacted me before I even made it home from my trip. So I came back to Belize just a couple of months later. And that was that was the beginning. Uh, We're now a flagship organization for not just Belize, but Central America and the Caribbean. Wow, that's just incredible. Um, it's amazing what um, when you see a need and you've got the drive to do something about it, it's amazing what you can create. And that's exactly what you've done as well. And as a part of that, um, I believe that your late husband had a um, great deal to do with what you do now as well. And when you first mentioned your story to me, it really resonated with me because um, what you've created is something really beautiful from grief. And um, what we haven't talked about a lot is that I actually lost my father very suddenly a few years ago. And I've seen grief expressed in some not so great ways. And um, I just love how you're honoring your husband in such a positive manner. Um, do you mind telling us a little bit about him and the amazing oh, work he did together? I would love to tell you all about him. He was not in animal welfare. He was a... Um, international business professor. And so we were in many ways, very different. Um, I used to joke that, uh, you know, I was more like the guy, I was far more likely to blow my nose on my sleeve or, uh, you know, or say something inappropriate. I was the one wearing jeans and a t-shirt and wanting to drive a truck and, and be dirty all the time. And he was always pristine in his nice car and, and suit. So, Uh, You know, we seemed like a very odd couple in many ways, but in the things that mattered in the heart, uh, we were perfect together. And he had a love of animals. Um, Quick story that was sort of funny on one of our first dates. He said to me how much he loved Mexican food. And I said, oh, that's that's not going to work. I really don't like Mexican food. He said, well, that's that's a problem. And I said, well, I'm, I very much love cats. And he said, oh, I don't like cats very much. I said, well, we're going to, that's, this is, this could be a deal breaker. Well, it turns out he had not known a lot of cats in his life. And, and all it took was him saving his first one. 
right? That's kind of what it takes for a lot of people. Uh, he saved his first kitten that he found at the gym and brought it home. And after that, he was as much a cat guy as he was a dog guy. And uh, when I started working um, in Belize, um, he, he, he was very proud of the fact that I had found something um, unusual and different to do that was going to make a difference. He was very much a believer in paying it forward. Um, he was an entrepreneur, so he liked things that were different. And it, it was it was my thing, and he was very proud of it. He was proud to support it financially. He was proud to support me when I went. Uh, but he, he never went to Belize with me, oddly enough. Um, he never got to see in person what I created. But it was it was as important to him as it was to me because it was important to me. That's just incredible. He sounds like um, such an amazing person. Um, and I'd like to um, dig a little bit deeper into paying it forward. Do you mind explaining the concept to us a little bit? So there, there was a movie several years ago called Pay It Forward, where instead of if someone does something nice for you, you don't pay them back. You pay it forward. You do something nice for someone else and they in turn do something else nice for the next person, etc. And he thought that was such a wonderful concept because that was the way he thought about things. He liked being able to um, share his um, experiences, his knowledge. Uh, he liked being able to help people become better and more capable of doing what they wanted to do. Hopefully, that's what most professors want to do, right? They want to help their students learn and enable them to go forward and have wonderful careers. But he took that on every level. And so uh, being a big believer in that and, and myself as well, it, it, it was very easy to um, him, him get to, uh, caught up in the idea of animal welfare and offering uh, free spays and neuters like we like we do in Belize. Um, it was it was it was important to him to make sure that I felt fulfilled in being able to do what I felt a calling to do, and he was happy to support and be part of that. I could just see from your stories that well, I think probably what attracted both of you is that you both had these generous hearts. You know these warm and you know just giving hearts that in the in the work you guys do you can see that you know you talk about Belize and going out there and doing that and even though unfortunately you never got to see your work in Belize it it echoed through in times in, in terms of the ideas and paying it forward from your husband I just want to um, touch back on Belize just for those who maybe not as culturally um, aware as like or internationally aware as like I was whereabouts is Belize in the world and you know what is like can you explain a little bit about Belize as a as a country of course Belize is located in Central America it borders uh, Mexico and Guatemala by land and I believe the sea actually borders Honduras as well but it's it's sort of um, it's a tiny country but it's stuck uh, at the sort of at the end of Mexico as it wraps around and and um, is it identifies not only as Central America, though, but also as part of the Caribbean, because it has very much a Caribbean feel about it as well. 
And there's an island component to Belize. So a land, a landlocked part of Belize and an island component. And uh, I, I would say that um, I grew up in Mississippi and I always would joke with my Belize friends and say that Belize, uh, Mississippi is Belize light. It's hot. It's humid. There are tons of bugs, parasites. It, it just very <laughs> feels very similar. And maybe that's one of the reasons I felt so at home when I went to Belize. But I, it, I think truly that most people were just um, ignorant of the spay and neuter concept. And, and ignorance, of course, means they didn't know what they didn't know. It, the, a lot of people cared very much about their pet, but they weren't aware that there was even a process to um, uh, have them spayed and neutered so they wouldn't continue having litter after litter. They, they didn't know that there might be other methods besides the ones that they had been taught to get rid of mange, etc. So when we started this small organization, we knew that we were going to be working in a country where a lot of people did not have transportation. They don't have a lot of funds. Um, and they really were not even familiar with the concept of veterinary medicine. So it was all well and good to just open our doors and say, hey, we're going to have a free vet clinic. But a lot of people couldn't get there and they really wouldn't even know what we were about if, if they did. So one of the things that made our organization so successful early on is we would go out into the community and talk to people door to door, cold calling, telling them who, what we were, what our organization was about. And it is amazing to me how loving and trusting most of the people that I work with are. Now, I want you to imagine that you're sitting at your house working outside and someone you don't know comes up into your yard and says, hey, we're doing a veterinary clinic down the road about 30 miles. Can I take your dogs with me or would you give me your cat and I'll, I'll bring it back later? Would you do that? I wouldn't. <laughs> yet so, so many people um, were trusting enough to say, you know, yes, I, I, I do care about my, my pet. I, I wish I knew what to do to make sure my dog doesn't have fleas or, um, you know, my, my female keeps having litter after litter and most of them are sick and die. And they, and they trusted us to care for their animals. And what an amazing, what an amazing thing that that was. And of course, the fact that we would then did bring their animals back and their animals did look better um, that, that it helped increase that trust. And usually what we would do is try to establish a few people in each village around us that knew us or worked with us or were friends of somebody that worked with us and talk with them. And then they would go into those villages or communities and talk to their friends and say, Hey, there's an organization. Um, they can, so the local term is cut instead of spay or neuter. They say cut. Okay, so they would say, um, you know, they can cut your dog where she doesn't keep having, you know, puppies. And uh, my my friend went to them, or I took them, my dog, and everything turned out well. So we just really bootstrapped, you know, our way uh, around villages and um, knocked on doors, and that is how we 
that is how we became so successful. We and, and, and of course we provided the transportation. That that's a huge part of it. Um, our our clinic manager today, of course, this is almost twelve years later, has a waiting list for surgeries. The demand is so high, we can't keep up with them. So in in a decade, we have changed the culture in, in not only Hopkins Village but many of the villages around us. Now, when people um, get a dog, the majority of them recognize that veterinary care needs to happen at some point. So many of them do want to have their animals cut because they recognize that there are a lot of street dogs um, and feral cats in their community. And they see that the animals that they've had cut in the past live longer, they're healthy. So it sometimes blows me away, even to this day, even though I've been working there so long, what an incredible level of trust the people of Hopkins, Belize, and, and beyond gave, not just to me, but uh, to the Colliers who started the organization, uh, our employees, and uh, let us show, show them as, um, as, a, as an organization that we were capable of providing good quality veterinary care at zero cost to them. And it, it, is, it is amazing to me that we are in the position we're in and how fortunate we are. No, that just, that's an amazing story and amazing way you've summed up some of the challenges you've faced. I just think about it and, you know, it's very easy for us, especially in those developed countries to think that, you know, infrastructure is very readily available and very accessible, but the way you've described what you've had to go up against and the challenges, you put that in, you know, you put that in, it really puts it into perspective in terms of what you're up against, starting from zero to establish this organization and then go out there and basically have to convince everyone of this new concept and idea of cutting. And then as I would assume there's also a language barrier sometimes. Is that would be fair to say? Fortunately in Belize, most of the time, since English is the official language, it's okay. the only it's the only country in Central America and South America where English is the official language. Okay. It was British Honduras up until nineteen eighty one. Um but yes, there is still sometimes a language barrier. Um just because of an accent or hmm. yes, there are, there are other languages clearly that are spoken in Belize besides English. There's um, Mayan dialects, there's Spanish, of course. Um, there's Garifuna, which is a, a, a local language spoken in um, Hopkins village and, and other villages. There's Creole. So I can't certainly say that that is, was not ever a barrier. It, it was, um, but it was not as much of a barrier as you might, as you might think. Hmm. And Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, at the end of it all, though, it, it is still very commendable that the work you've done, like even language being one barrier, transportation being another, and having, you know, strangers, <clears throat> having strangers take your, your cats and dogs and allowing yes. them to cut it and so forth. It's, it's You've done tremendous work as a, you know, you and not just yourself, but the rest of the team that, uh, that it's also a testament that with the staying power of 12 years, it's not just a case of a once-off or something. You've been able to maintain that for 12 years, which is, I guess, also the amazing part to that story. We're open one weekend a month. And so the people in Hopkins know that one weekend out of the month, they can count on free veterinary services if they want to have their animal cut. And 
that's pretty, that's pretty phenomenal. I, I don't know of any clinic in my town that has one weekend a month of free spay and neuter surgeries. Uh, there are some excellent programs, of course, in my hometown, but knowing that there's that one weekend a month that that, that community knows they can take their animal in and have it cut and have it vaccinated it is pretty incredible. That is awesome. And something that really jumped out to me about this story is that you've made cultural change and like cultural change is the hardest change to make and to change that perception and understanding about something that people might not have thought about before. That's, um, that's incredible. And you guys should be really proud of that. That's awesome. Thank you. We are, um, I have an incredible team on the ground. My clinic manager, Kelly is incredibly organized. And as I mentioned before, she has a waiting list of people wanting spay and neuter surgeries. And the fact that that we have that we have that list and for a long time and she may even still have it we had a waiting list for puppies and kittens to be adopted because i can't tell you that everything in our village is spayed and neutered but we have such an incredible um maintenance that there are not that many puppies and kittens born in our village so we don't have this huge influx you know every every spring the way a lot of places do and I was determined that we would not be a shelter. Uh, I ran a shelter, as I mentioned, for 10 years, and I wanted to be proactive. I wanted to be able to go into a community and say, you know, we're not going to take your sick or injured animals from you, but we're going to help you get your animals better. One of the first things we did, and I attribute this to the founder, Nancy Collier, she recognized that we couldn't talk about spaying and neutering until we talked about nutrition because the animals were not being fed properly. They, the local colloquialism uh, for dogs frequently in the Caribbean is potlicka or sometimes pot cakes. And the reason for that is that the, the dogs get to have whatever's left in the pot after the family's done eating. So that's frequently not, not much. And so, and I still see this, this to this day, but it's certainly much better than it was a decade ago. Dogs were mostly eating tortillas um, or scavenging and garbage for food. And so Nancy recognized that we needed to talk about nutrition. And one of our biggest expenses still to this day is dog food because we purchased dog food and we hand it out after each surgery. We want to make sure that the animals going home have good nutrition. And while we can't afford to buy a big bag of dog food for every every client, what we do is give them a smaller bag of dog food and ask them to mix that with whatever scraps they are feeding the dog and do our best to try to talk to them about what they're feeding the dog. The tortillas are okay, but they also need protein. And here are some other you know, sources you can have for that. And as I like to say, the dogs in Hopkins are thin, but they're not starving. And there's a big difference between thin and, and emaciated. So now when I drive through Hopkins, the dogs are filled out. So many of them are already cut. A lot of them have collars on. Um, you know, they, they look like happy dogs. Uh, they are on the street. That's a cultural difference as well. Um, and, but, you know, 
I, I tell a lot of our veterinary teams when they come to us that they need to leave their North American ideals at the door because to us, you know, we want our dogs inside our house and inside the fence and we want to make sure that they don't get out. And, and, and those, um, those are all great things, but this is a village where these dogs, most of them are not fenced in, but they do have a home and they get up each morning and they go out into the world and they visit their other doggy friends and they go down as a group to the beach and they play at the beach and they know if they go by this resort during lunch, then they, you know, might get fed a biscuit and and then they go home in the evening. They have a life that they get to go and do. And a lot of tourists will contact me and say, you know, oh, it's just terrible, all these stray dogs. And I will, well, let's let's reevaluate that term. These dogs are not stray. They're just loose. <laughs> they have homes. Um, but again, most of the dogs in Hopkins have homes. They are just, they are just loose and they go out and they have their fun dogs, things that they do every day. And one of the comments I wanted to make earlier, if I can backtrack, is it still happens now, but early on, I would get contacted by tourists that would say to me, oh, it's just so awful that Belizeans don't spay and neuter their dogs, or it's terrible that Belizeans don't take better care of their dogs. And I would like to say, I would say to them something like, well, I want you to imagine with me that you are a woman living in a small village about three hours from the closest veterinarian. You don't have a vehicle. You have your children to take care of, make sure that they get up and go to school every day. Um, Your husband is at work every day. Your average income is much less than probably you and I are bringing home. And your dog is sick. What are your options? It's a three-hour bus ride to get to the local veterinarian. And you are doing your best to just make sure that you and your family are fed. and and now the dog is sick. There are just not a lot of options. What I would find is it not that people didn't care about their animals. That that was not the case at all. They were they just didn't have anywhere to go. So HBHS stepped in and said, "Hey, we're going to give you some options, and we're going to give you free transportation." So that's again why we have a waiting list. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I completely understand. That's um, it's amazing what you guys are doing. Um. Is there a way that each of us can help HBHS? Um, well, we have a nonprofit platform in the United States, so donations are always welcome. Even though I do get a lot of donated items that are from veterinary clinics that are products, I still have to purchase things, of course, uh, for our clinic. So that, that is definitely a um, way that could be helpful. Is there anything in particular that you um, desperately need, like any items or things like that? So maybe um, someone listening might have access to that and be able to help out. One of my most favorite things to ask for is absorbable suture. Um, Absorbable suture is what is the surgeon uses on the inside of the dog to tie things off. And of course, being absorbable, it will dissolve over time. What we see sometimes um, in the Caribbean is that surgeons use either non-absorbable suture or other things like plastic zip ties to hold, to tie off 
uh, in, during a surgery. And that's not good um, because those things not absorbing then start to float around the body cavity, adhere to the body wall or organs or, or something like that and can be in the long-term detrimental to the animal. So absorbable suture is one of my favorite things to ask for. Um, also surgical tools, any surgical items that one would use to do spays and neuters. Um, surgical gloves are also incredibly helpful. If a veterinarian's listening or a veterinary technician is listening, anything you use in the surgery room, that's what I need. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I completely get it. And I'm guessing, um, well, I'm wondering, are you also looking for volunteers as well? Sure, of course. Um, I always am trying to recruit veterinary teams. As I mentioned before, we have a great retention rate and have lots of teams that want to come back. Um, but I'm always wanting new, new people to take an interest so they can be a returning veterinary team in the future. That's awesome. So what we'll do is we'll include all those details in our show notes as well so that um, if anyone's interested, they can go have a look there. Great. So I, I just want to um, move to, to mention that you've also got your own cat. So his, his name is Professor X, and that's how most of the Cat Explorer community would know you. So can you tell us a little bit about how Professor X came into your life? I will be glad to tell you about all about Professor X. Um, so, but before I do that, it's important to know that I, my husband and I together uh, did cat rescue and we always felt it was um, important to us to offer our home to animals that didn't necessarily have an opportunity to have the more traditional home. So we took in a lot of cases of animals that were injured or had medical issues or behavior issues or chronic issues. Uh, so we could provide them a, a loving home that didn't get upset when they didn't behave like a perfect animal, if that makes sense. So, um, and together as a team, we loved to do bottle babies. I, I have lost track of how many hundreds of bottle babies I have um, fed over the years. And we were such a good team because I would do all the medical issues, um, you know, feeding them um, fluids if they needed it. I would make sure that they got everything they needed. And then I would pass them off to him and he would provide all that warm love and snuggles and companionship and socialization. Um, so we together as a team, we bottle fed hundreds of animals and would offer our home again to the ones that maybe had issues. So being who I am and, and offering my home to um, cats that are a little uh, less than perfect, uh, local organizations frequently will contact me if they have a cat that um, does have a medical issue, does have a behavior problem, or it's been in the shelter a very long time for whatever reason, to see if I will open my home to it. So um, Professor X was one of those phone calls, um, or actually a text message. A, a friend, Terry, contacted me and said that a bottle baby had been found in a dumpster and... Uh, they needed somebody to, you know, to take him on. And I was actually on my way to Austin 
to visit family and to volunteer at their zoo. And I said, well, I can, I can take him when I get back, but I'm going to be gone for a while. If you could find someone else, she said, well, we'll find someone else, but we'll make sure he's here for you when you get back. So I said, okay, another bottle baby to raise. Well, I picked him up and immediately went to a friend's house because they were nearby and they were watching X-Men. And the husband said, why did you name him Professor X? And I said, sure. Not thinking it was that big of a deal because I would be bottle raising him and putting him up for adoption like I did with most of the babies. Well, the, the second part of this is my, my husband had passed away. And like most people, I had gone through a lot of different stages of grief. Um, right after he uh, passed away, I, I gained a lot of weight, eating pretty much everything in sight. And I had already decided that I was going to stop those behaviors. It certainly was not something that made me feel good and, and um, was unhealthy for, for me. But I had, been, I had been looking for something to do to honor him that was significant. And I, you know, I don't have enough money to put his name on the side of a building. And I had talked to various organizations about maybe sponsoring a clinic in his honor, you know, paying for a clinic and having a bunch of animals spayed and neutered in his honor. And a lot of very loving and supportive friends had assured me that I was honoring him every single day with opening my home to very difficult or non-adoptable animals with my work in Belize. But I still felt like I needed something else to do. And I had seen somebody on the hiking trails recently with uh, a cat and stopped and with her for a moment. And so I had that idea kind of in my head somewhere in the back of my mind. And as I was raising Professor X, he was just seemed like such a unique individual. He's very adventurous, but calm at the same time. And I thought of that adventure cat and how much fun it would be to take a cat with me and my dogs on the hikes. And then that something else said to me, remember when your husband was in the hospital, there was never a cat. And I, it was, it was always so difficult to walk in the hospital and see him. He had brain damage and see him petting an invisible cat or thinking that one of his cats was on the other side of the room. Um, hearing him ask me when he was going to see Jake again or how's Pigeon, or, you know, he he missed them very much. And there was never a therapy cat to come see him. And then he moved to hospice. And while he didn't last very long in hospice, again, there was there were dogs available to come see him, but never a cat. And I thought, wouldn't it be incredible if I can have this amazing little guy help me in my journey to lose weight, um, get out back into the world and, and feel alive again, go exploring and do something really special that would honor my husband, not just for one day, 
but for many, many days. And we could pay it forward every single day by going out into the community and bringing a smile to people and then visiting people in hospice or in other situations so they could see cats again. And, and so that's the journey we've been on. And he has exceeded all of my expectations. Um, he turned six months old a couple of days ago. And we've already been through um, part of one certification process. We'll finish that class up next month. And then I hope to get him certified through another um, more national organization when he's a year old. But I can honestly say that every single day we go out into the community and do something, whether it's doing errands together or going for a walk or going on a hike. And we bring so much joy to people who who stop and then want to tell me about their cat. Or if we get far enough in the story and I tell them I'm doing this in honor of my um, husband who passed away, they tell me a story about their father or their husband or, you know, their wife who was in hospice and how much they miss their cats and how they wished that there had been a therapy cat to go visit their loved one. And it's, it has been the most um, amazing thing to me and all the things I've done in animal welfare, I've never tried this. And it's been the most challenging thing I think I've done. But gosh, it has been so incredibly rewarding. And I have done some really rewarding things in my career. But I, I think that this is going to be um, something that I will always be so grateful that I did for him. Wow, that's just so beautiful. Um, I just love how in a time that can be really difficult, you Professor X came into your life and kind of helped you shift and see another way, to, like a way to keep moving and to see the positives and to not just for you, but to bring positive to other people's lives as well. I'd, um, it's like we hear a lot about therapy dogs and not a lot about therapy cats. Do you mind explaining exactly what a therapy cat is? Of course. And there is a lot of confusion about um, the different certification of animals. So a service animal in the United States, I don't know in other countries, but in the United States, a service animal can legally only be a dog or a miniature horse. And so service animals, of course, can legally go anywhere because they are basically seen as an extension of, of the person. And then there are emotional support animals which are absolutely a real thing, there's been a lot in the news recently about people abusing that. Um, But emotional support animals are animals that are there to provide a true emotional need. I'll give a quick example. Um, A lot of times veterans come home from combat and need an emotional support animal for a variety of reasons. So those are two certifications. The third is therapy animal. And a therapy animal can be a lot of different kinds of mammals, dogs, cats, rabbits, guinea pigs, horses. And they do have to go through a certification class, though, 
to make sure that they have the right behavior and temperament to 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 be a um, therapy cat. I mean, excuse me, a therapy provider. And I have to go through certification as well because Professor X and I will work as a team. And, you know, he may have a wonderful personality for visiting people in hospice, but if I don't have a great personality, then we are not going to be effective as a team. So part of the training, of course, is for me as well to know how to talk to people and what to say, et cetera. And fortunately for me, most so many years ago, when I was uh, the director of the Humane Society in Oxford, Mississippi, we had been approached to do pet therapy in some of the retirement communities there. Now, this is the early 90s, so it was before, certainly in Mississippi, there were certification for such things. And I used to take my two very friendly dogs to um, uh, two weekends a month to retirement communities or hospitals and visit with people. And having done that in the past, I learned a lot, as you can imagine, about how to approach people, how to talk to people, how to be empathetic um, and listen to stories and say say things that were appropriate um, and encouraging, etc. So fortunately, I had had that experience. And um, that has helped me a lot in the training with him as well. Wow, that's that's amazing. I have to admit, I I was always like, okay, you have to train the cat to be a therapy cat, but you're so right. It, you're working together as a team, and so much of it also relies on yourself. So that makes a lot of sense. Hmm. So speaking of training, what is required to become a therapy cat or dog, or and for and what is it for you that you need to do? So what are the steps involved and what do you need to learn? Sure. Well, I've only gone through part of the certification, but I have read what is required of all of us. And for for a professor, it's about being able to, as I mentioned before, be adventurous and open, but also calm in situations that are new and different. And I'm sure most of your uh, listeners as cat explorers that's that's part of the thing, right? We take them out and they go and they do different things. So the unusual is the usual for them because they're used to different environments. But there are specific things that he has been required to do because we will be in a hospital-like situation. Um, for example, one of our classes, we had to approach someone in a wheelchair to make sure that he was not afraid of the wheels. We had to walk while other people ran around us and made noise. Because if we're in a hospital and say there's suddenly an emergency and there's a lot of noise, we, we have to be able to be calm. Both of us need to be able to be calm during that situation. Um, he had to, we had different noises that he had to not react too strongly to. It's okay for him to startle. I startle when I hear a loud noise. But I turn around and I see I'm not in danger and I calm down. And that's exactly what he does. If there's a loud noise, it doesn't mean he doesn't whip around to say, what was that? But he calms himself immediately because he recognizes that he's not in any danger. So those are some of the things we had to do. Uh, It's a lot of unusual noises, sights, things you've never seen before uh, sort of thrown at you. And, and make sure that he can handle those in a calm manner. 
Wow, that's so interesting. And you know, as you say it, I was I was thinking, oh my goodness, yes, of course, you, he would have to get used to noises and things like wheelchairs and stuff like that. So it's great that that's included in the training and stuff like that. So that's awesome. If someone, if say one of our listeners has a cat who is suited to be a therapy cat, is do you have any places that you'd recommend them to go to to find some information about it? Well, in the United States, there's an organization called Pet Partners, and they are a national organization that usually has local chapters, so they can they can check that out online. One of the certifications we are doing is through our local humane society that um, has you know has their own program and certification. So it could be that if they will check with their local humane organizations, that they may have their own programs or can recommend good ones in their area. Okay, thank you. What we'll do is we'll include those in the show notes as well so everyone can go have a look there as well. And what I love about Professor X is that he's also a hiker as well. Do you mind telling us how you started hiking with him? Sure. Well, as I mentioned before, I had had gained a lot of weight and had decided I was going to stop that. So I started taking my dogs hiking and was doing a regular route and was already feeling better and having more energy and a more positive outlook on life in general. And I saw this person with a cat explorer and I just thought that would be the most fun thing to have a cat with you. So I started him right after I got him. He was 10 days old, still on the bottle. And um, I had this papoose that I would wear sometimes at work when I had bottle babies just to be able to carry them around and still work. And so I took him on his first hike in this little papoose hanging off my side with the dogs and, and our hiking tribe and would stop along the way to bottle feeding, just like I would if, if we were at home. And, and that's how he grew up. Um, the more the more I went out and, of course, a bottle baby pretty much has to go with you anywhere anyway. And I'm used to that process. So the more I went out, I just I just kept bringing him. Um, I got him a, a backpack that he could wear when he was just a little bitty guy and started him in a ferret harness. That's how tiny he was. That was the only thing he would fit into. And so he, he just started so incredibly young and took to it right away. He's, he's grown up around dogs, so he really has very little fear of dogs. Um, as I mentioned earlier, he, he the, the usual for him is the unusual. His surroundings change almost every day. He meets new people on the trails or in the grocery store or at the park or at the restaurant. He, you know, sees something different every day. He um, is, it's constant changing environment for him and he's okay with that. He's quite calm about it. Just like you or I would be if we walked into a new place every day. And he's, he's just done a phenomenal job. I, I sound, I sound like a, a chuffed, proud parent, but that's kind of how I feel. Not ever having had children of my own, this is my first time to take a, a little individual that I care about with me everywhere, and I think I'm experiencing some some similar um, emotions that parents do. A few days ago, for example, we went to hiking in Sedona, and it was very icy not really good hiking weather. And my friends I was with, they went on down the trails, but he was, he was playing in, in some bushes and climbing trees. 
And I was getting so much joy just watching him have fun. And again, that came what came through my head. I, this is this is what parenting must be <laughs> must be like. Seeing the your children have so much fun and watching them explore and watching them learn and uh, that that's those are the type of feelings that I have when I'm out with him. And it does make me so incredibly pleased and happy when just the two of us together out somewhere brings a smile to people's face. That's just a lovely story. And I just want to pause on what you're saying before about bottle babies. Does that mean that they've got to take uh, nutrients and food from a bottle consistently? And that's the only way they can uh, eat? That's correct. So bottle babies, um, a, a cat in particular needs a bottle for at least the first four weeks of its life. I should say it needs it needs milk. Um, the preferable option, of course, is to have uh, mother's milk because they'll get all those benefits from that. But so many cats are orphaned or abandoned, and so they need constant attention. My husband and I did so many bottle babies. It just it, it seemed like we never were somewhere without a bottle baby. <laughs> um, so you know, mixing the formula, carrying around in essence a diaper bag having them in a little carrier with, with something heated. That was our constant companion. And they would slept in the room with us so I could get up in the middle of the night and, and feed them. Um, and I, but I'd certainly never hiked with one. <laughs> so, so when I got this little guy, I was like, well, this hiking is part of who I am now. So I guess he's going along and thank goodness it's just worked out really, really well. All right, got yeah, so I understood, and it just sounds like it's a lot more logistical challenges associated with it that I can only just commend you and again say that's just an amazing effort to hike with a bottled baby. Now, we talked about hiking and we've talked about Belize quite extensively. I want to put those two together, and you've actually taken Professor X to Belize and done some exploring. How was that experience? It went really well. Um, he had been on a plane when he was just a few weeks old. He went with me to a veterinary conference in California, and, and that went really well. But, again, he was super small, fit under the seat easily, pretty quiet. He was still on the bottle part of the time, so I could feed him and get him all you know full and warm, and he would sleep a lot. But as just like kids, as they start to get older, they start to have opinions and you know have things to say and so i wasn't sure how he would do as a slightly older uh kid on the plane but again he did beautifully because he's so used to just environments changing and as long as i'm with him he trusts that everything is fine so i had contacted uh friends in the belize animal health association ahead of time made sure that he was current on all his vaccines of course uh got travel travel papers from my local veterinarian here and then got him a one-year passport to go in and out of Belize with no problems. So we, we do have to go through a special room. They, they, you know, make sure that um, his papers are in order, et cetera, before we are allowed to go into the country. But he, he went with me everywhere there. He went with me to work. He, um, you may have even seen on our page, I made him work. He had to, 
uh, cuddle animals during recovery. So animals are covering off the surgery table and then usually their temperature drops a bit uh, when they're in surgery. So you put them on heating pads or warm blankets. And I had him go snuggle in between animals so he could provide warmth for them. And he was happy to do so. Um, or he would rest in one of the kennels if, if that was appropriate. He went on hikes with me through the jungle. He ate out in restaurants. He went with me when we were going to pick up animals out in the field. He was with me almost every step of the way. And just as he would here, he was ready for all of it and eager to participate. It was great. That's just amazing. Um, One of uh, the um, photos or videos that you posted was, of you guys at the Belize Zoo, that was just incredible. Do you mind telling us a little bit of that about that experience and how Professor X reacted to it? Yes. So uh, the Belize Zoo is also an, an unbelievably wonderful organization in Belize. They're a rescue zoo. They take in animals that have been injured or orphaned or also have a behavior issue or they, they have a medical issue and, and being released into the wild is not really a good option for them. Nobody loves seeing the animals in the wild more than everybody that works at the Belize Zoo. But frequently the animals that end up there have already gone through some type of wildlife rehabilitation um, screening, I guess is the best way to say. And it's been determined that they should not be released into the wild. Cats in particular being my thing, of course. Um, for example, a baby jaguar would stay with its mother for two years learning from her how to hunt, how to live in the wild. So when a kitten, um, a wild kitten, is hand-raised, it's it's really not a very good option to have them go back out into the wild. They're now acclimated to humans. Um, we are not going to go live with them and teach them how to hunt for the next couple of years. So the Belize Zoo offers a, a variety of animals, cats uh, being my strongest interest, of course, um, an option. And so these animals become ambassadors for their species. And many of the cats that live there, I, I joke, they're, they're like my other children because I have known them for so many years and was around when they were kittens. And I see them repeatedly over and over and over again. And so we had an opportunity to have PX uh, be very briefly introduced to some of the cats that I was very familiar with, um, I know these animals. So, and again, we're talking about an introduction several feet away behind enclosures, etc. And it was delightful to me to see not only how calm he was about it, but the it was only a handful of cats that I feel I know well enough to introduce him to and how calm they were about it as well. I think in many ways they were far more interested in me because they know me and that I sometimes have treats than they were to this little cat that I had, you know, in my, um, in my backpack. So that was nice to see that he, even in such an unusual and, and strange situation, once again, was still very calm. And I posted a video of him um, watching the tapir, which is the national animal of Belize. And I have learned that Professor is cautious around hooved animals, but we keep it just a little cautious. And I can understand that they're very big and he's very small. Um, but it was it, it was fun to watch him watching the tapirs be examined by the veterinarian 
that was what that was there doing it and um he 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 did a great job i'm i'm just so proud of my kid my little kid he did amazing and i love that he's so calm is do you believe that's a part of his personality or do you believe it's something that you trained him to be through his um upbringing i i'm, I'm sure it's a combination of nature and nurture right um I have many cats living in this house with me and they all most definitely have have their own personalities. (laughs) And perhaps some of them would have also been good at this had I started them down that route. But I think there are some that would not be good at it, regardless of how young I had started them. It's just not, it's just not who they are. And that's okay. We're all different and they're all different. So I think that part of it is definitely that he has a personality that would that goes along with what we're trying to accomplish and um so yes a combination of of him being who he is and a combination of, of his experiences and me being so open to trying to expose him to different things has made him very calm now i have to i have to honestly say he is still a kitten he's only six months old he definitely has his moments um you know, 3 a.m. Zoomies and uh, <laughs> parties. Um, <laughs> he likes to attack feet under the covers. And um, sometimes he does get a little fussy on the trails, but it's usually because he's having so much fun. I call it the kid has to leave Disneyland routine. <laughs> you know, we're out walking and exploring and having a good time and it's time to go. And I pick him up and he, he gets a little fussy because he's like, no, mom, I don't want to go yet. You know, but um, I, that's also part of it. And I think that he will likely grow out of most of that because he's just a kid. I actually really relate to the don't want to leave Disneyland thing. Noxie does it. Every single time. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. She chucks the biggest hissy fit. So I had to, I relate. <laughs> well, he doesn't do it every time, but he definitely does it sometimes, especially if I have not let him explore to his, you know, his satisfaction. Um, it can be a little frustrating for him. I know the hikes because we hike in a group most usually and we are frequently the ones dawdling behind because, as many of your Cat Explorer listeners know, sure, they may have their moments, but, you know, they like to dawdle a bit and sniff. And, and, and that's OK. I want him to feel free to do that. But I also don't want to lose my group. You know, I don't want to put us in a situation where our group is now 30 minutes ahead of us. And if something happens, you know, we're, we're in trouble. So sometimes I do have to pick him up and kind of jog jog along ideally i'd love it if he could stay down on the leash about half the hike um right now he's probably doing about a fourth of the hike on at the end of the leash but perfectly happy to ride along that's great so we're almost at the end of our chat and before we close up what we'll do is um we're going to go through a couple of questions that we do with all our guests so the first one is what do you hope to see in the future regarding the movement of cats who explore with their humans? I, I would hope that all of the Cat Explorer listeners are seeing more and more of this. And when you're out exploring and people come up to you and say, I've never 
seen a cat on a leash that you have a, uh, if you can talk to them about, um, about your cat and it might inspire them as it inspired me when I saw a cat explorer to, Hey, maybe I'll try that with my cat next time. And, uh, you know, social media has done, um, a lot for cats in the last few years. When I first started working in animal welfare, they were definitely the second class citizen of animal shelters. And I think that they have moved up quite a bit because people enjoy sharing their, their cat pictures or cat videos or cat stories on social media, just like we've always enjoyed sharing dog stories. And so as the cat explorer movement moves forward, how wonderful it would be to have groups of us that can get together and share interests and share trails, just like, like people that hike with their dogs have been doing for, for years. And to have, um, uh, uh, as, as you're providing a, a platform for people to share information, um, Hey, I want to go to Sedona. Where did you stay? Where, where, where can we eat? Where can, you know, where are these, where can we go as um, a together team and be together and, and have a wonderful trip? And where can't we go? And that information has been available for dogs for a long time. Um, but now, now it's starting to become available for cats. And, you know, I think what, what we're doing with our cats is also so healthy for them as speaking in the veterinary profession. I can honestly tell you in my three decades, I see so many more overweight animals in general, uh, diabetes, all sorts of um, problems related to animals not getting enough exercise and, and cat explorers. I I can't beat this guy enough. <laughs> he's he's mm-hmm. constantly he's out. He's walking. He's he's moving, um, and and that's so much healthier for him, and it's so much healthier for me. It makes me get out and do things. So I hope as a community we can uh, be positive when we're out representing cat explorers and try to encourage others to try things with their with their cats. You know, we don't all have to be hikers and we don't all have to be therapy animals. Some some cat explorers may just want to explore their yard every day or every week. And that can be such uh, an enriching thing for your pet and therefore more enriching for you as well. I completely agree. You've really um, bought the, yeah, you're so right. What's been the um, most entertaining comment that someone said to you while you've been out and about with Professor X? The most entertaining. Hmm. I guess the most entertaining, it wasn't very flattering, but it was entertaining, was we were on our way to the airport uh, in the shuttle and the couple was uh, in the shuttle with us and the lady said, oh my goodness, is that a cat? And I said, yes, this is, this is Professor X. And she said, my goodness, I've never seen someone travel with their cat before. So I kind of gave a little spiel about him. And I said, and he's in training to be a therapy animal. And the husband turned to me and said, oh, honey, they make pills for that. (laughs) (laughs) That's a really good one. (laughs) 
and so I, I smiled and I said, he, he's not therapy for me in that sense, but in the many ways he also is. <laughs> so, uh, yes, I, so I do try now when I say that he's in training to be a therapy animal, I try to say he's a therapy animal in training so we can visit people in hospice or, or something else. So people don't think that I am so emotionally attached to my animal that I, <laughs> I can't take, not take him everywhere with me, but secretly that may be true. <laughs> uh, I love that one. What cat explorers inspire you? Uh, and what are their social media handles if you know them? Um, the Phoenix, uh, ones, uh, cash me on the outside, Indy on the go, go. Um, you uh, introduced me to another cat explorer in Tucson, um, recently. And I've forgotten, I've forgotten their handle though, but we haven't met up, but I'm hoping that we can. Um, quite frankly, they're all inspiring in their own way. Um, I try to pay extra special attention to the ones in my state because I'm hoping that we can actually meet up at some point and have our own smaller cat explorer community with, within our state. And <clears throat> much much like I was talking about at the clinic, it would, would be great if we could start small and kind of move out. So then each state has has a community and we can all work together and making sure that um, humans and cats were, were enjoying the experience together and so much better. Um, they're all inspiring, watching, watching them get out and, and do their thing. I completely agree. And that is definitely something that we're trying to um, encourage everyone to do is to find, um, we're trying to find cat explorers near everyone, find where we are in cities, in states, in regions, and see if there's a way that we can um, all meet up. So um, just, um, in November in 2018, we did, um, I just thought, oh, I'll just give it a go. I'll ask, see if there's anyone else in Sydney who would be interested and let's see how we organize this. And it was incredible just to meet like-minded people. So I want everyone else to be able to do that. So that's something that we're trying to help everyone do. So watch this space. Yeah. Um, we're hoping to do that more and more around the world. So that's really exciting. So what, um, has there been a product or a service or a program that's been a game changer for Professor X? Well, he does have a logo now, so we're hoping to do some fun merchandise at, at some point. But um, right now we're, we're, we're enjoying just doing what we're doing. Um, we've kind of gone through a range of products uh, as far as backpacks. I'm still trying. I keep a couple of them. Um, I'm still trying to find what works best for both of us. Some I think are better for him, but not as good for me and my shoulders and back. And some I think are better for me and my shoulders and back, but maybe not quite as comfortable for him. Um, I've thought about designing our own, but I'm not sure I'm crafty enough to do that. We'll see. Uh, same thing with uh, harnesses. Sometimes I watch cat explorers and I'll even message to say what type of harness is that and where did you get it? Because, um, I think he likes the vest concept better than the more traditional, I call it the diaper on the chest harness. Um, <laughs> uh, he doesn't, he, I mean, he's fine. He'll do whatever I put on him. He's okay with, but I think we both like that vest concept more. Um, but because he's still so young and still growing, I, I haven't tied into one thing. Does that make sense? I'm still kind of experimenting yep. with things. You know, when you have a toddler running around, you're not going to buy them. Um, 
you know, the clothes are going to go to college with. So I am just kind of waiting to see how he develops and how big he gets. And then we'll, we'll figure out what products work best for us. Yeah, that makes sense. I completely understand that one. So clearly, thank you so much for joining us today. It really has been a blast. Where can we follow you and Professor X online? We are on Instagram, Professor X, the hiking cat, all one word. And same on Twitter. And we also have a Facebook page, Professor X, the hiking cat. And and we try to post almost daily, um, even if it's not a, a hike in Belize or climbing to the top of a mountain. We try to get out and do something every single day to make sure that we are spreading joy and um, getting to know each other and, and strengthening our bond. And so I'm hoping that some of your listeners will want to follow our adventures as, as we follow theirs. Yes, definitely. They're really lovely adventures. So what we'll do is we'll put those links and all the other links that we spoke about today in our show notes, which will be available at catexplorer.co forward slash podcast. Thank you so much for listening today. It would mean the world to us if you could subscribe and review the Cat Explorer podcast on wherever you listen to your podcasts. This will help us to continue to get some amazing guests. As always, thank you so much for being a part of the Cat Explorer community. That's it for today. We'll catch you next time. In the meantime, enjoy giving your kitty the world.